So here we are in the middle of chapter 36. And chapter 36 is really one of the central themes. It's like a bedrock, a foundation of Chabad Chassidus. <laughs> chapter 36 begins this concept of Dir Batachtonim, a dwelling place for Hashem in the lowest realms. And that really changes our thinking a lot. Because sometimes people think that this world is just something to get through in order to then reach reward or something better or higher. But they neglect to see the opportunities in this very world that don't exist in any other world. This world is essentially created so that Hashem's essence can shine here. And that is not possible in any other world, as we discussed previously. Every other world already experiences revelation and any more revelation that it already has would totally melt it out of existence. This world experiences no revelation and it was built in a way that the utter darkness is going to be transformed. Hi, Karen! This utter darkness is going to be transformed to utter light. And this is something original. This darkness is something original that doesn't exist anywhere else in creation as we've discussed. And one of the concepts we spoke about was that something new and original actually brings joy. And in our own experience, the concept of a joke is just that. What is a joke? A joke is the unexpected. It makes you laugh because you weren't expecting that. There's the analogy of a king who was very depressed and his ministers and his supporting team were trying to bring up his mood. So they hired a bunch of entertainers, famous and talented, in order to bring up the king's mood. Didn't help. The best opera singers, the best performers wouldn't get the king to laugh. And finally, a guy walks in with a parrot on his shoulder and he said, hey, see this parrot? He could sing. And the parrot starts to sing and the king starts laughing. And suddenly the opera singer is so insulted. He's like, I don't understand. I sing so much better than the parrot. What about the parrot made the king happy? And a wise man said to him, let me explain something to you what you don't understand. That a human being can sing, that's to be expected. But that a parrot can sing, that's the unexpected. That's what makes the king laugh. That an angel can see the divine that an angel is exposed to the divine reality and serves Hashem and praises him and never loses focus of him. Okay, <laughs> that's okay, that's normal. He experiences revelation. He lives in a place where he knows his source and that he serves Hashem, that's to be expected. But that a human being in 2021, living in this chaos, in this darkness, in total obscurity, recognizes the creator and serves him, that's the unexpected. That's unusual. That's what brings joy. And in fact, create, creation really is a crazy thing. If you think about it, what is creation? Remember, there's an utter truth here. The utter truth is, Ein od milvado. there is nothing else besides Hashem. So what is creation? Creation is a succession of concealments that allows for beings to perceive themselves as being other than Hashem. It really makes no sense. 
There must be a point to it all. And that's what we've been discussing in this chapter. There is a point to it all. The point is that Hashem had this desire that in a place where he is not recognized, not only does he hide himself, but he hides the fact that he's hiding himself. And in a place so dark and so obscure, his very essence will shine. His very essence will be totally at home. Home means where you're just yourself. There's no more facades. You don't have to put on a show. You can be how you like. That's home. And so when the Chachamim expressed it, that he desired a dwelling place in this lowest realms, dwelling place meant to say that his essence will be shining here. So now, when his dream is fulfilled, when his essence will be shining here, it doesn't make sense that we should continue to exist. The way Rabbi Steinsaltz puts it is that the existence of a world, in essence, is a fiction. And a world can only maintain its existence as long as it's not aware that it's a fiction. As soon as it becomes aware of the utter truth that there's nothing else besides for Hashem, it cannot continue to exist. And yet, in the time to come, Hashem's essence is going to be totally revealed without any garment, any concealment, and we will continue to maintain existence. That should be impossible, that these two things are at the same time. One, Hashem's essence is utterly, totally revealed. That doesn't happen in any other world. And two, we will continue to maintain existence. That should be impossible. And yet, that's what's going to happen. We don't even have a perception of what that's going to look like. I mean, we kind of do, and we're going to talk about it in the development of this chapter, but it's so removed from our experience that when we're dealing with something so far from our experience, it's hard for us to imagine it or articulate it or think what it's going to be like, how the world is going to be different. Professor Velvel Green wrote this great book. I think it's called Curiosity and the Desire for Truth. He was a Baal Teshuvah. And he had some really amazing experiences, correspondences with the Rebbe. And one of the things that he says is he as a scientist and his team, they're wondering, as many scientists are, about life on Mars. And he started to think to himself, so we're going to look for life on Mars, right? And if we discover a field of wildflowers, then we'll say, okay, there's life on Mars. But what if we don't discover a field of wildflowers? Can we say that there's no life on Mars? We don't know what life cycles look like on Mars. We're trying to take our own earthly experience and then go to Mars and find that same thing. But we don't even know how to translate it in another place. And that's us. We're trying to imagine something that we haven't yet experienced. It's so hard to imagine because we have no experience of it. But a time is going to come, may it be right now, that Hashem's essence will be totally revealed. And yet, with this utter and total revelation, we are going to continue to maintain existence. It should be impossible, and yet it's possible. And here the altar is going to explain how. So we're on page six, middle of the page. A question arises, however. Oh, you know what? Let me just read the lines in English before then so we get the general thought where we are. 
There in the higher world, it shines through garments and through concealment of the countenance. A concealment of the pnimiyut, meaning the internal aspect of the light, which conceal and screen the insof light, so that the worlds do not dissolve out of existence. So the way Hashem's light shines in the upper worlds is through garments and concealments, otherwise they could not continue to exist. For were the insof light not screened by garments, the worlds could not bear it and would dissolve. Thus, the revelation bought by subjugation of the klipot in this world is greater than that of the higher worlds. There, the insof light is hidden, whereas here, in this world, it is revealed in all its strength. I mean, that's, that's wild. A question arises, however. How is it possible, even upon subjugating the klipot and tra- transforming them into holiness, that we, in this world, should experience a revelation of the insof light without veil or concealment, when even the higher world cannot receive such revelation without dissolving into nothingness? In answer, the Alter Rebbe writes, Blazeh Nasana Kadesh Baruch Huli Yisrael For this purpose, the Holy One, blessed be He, gave Israel the Torah. Shinikres Eiz Vechayach, which is called might and strength, for it gives us the strength to receive such revelation without being overwhelmed by it. So, for this impossible to happen, for Hashem to totally reveal Himself, and for us to continue to exist, Hashem gave us something special. Rabbi Chaim Miller, in his book, The Practical Tanya, calls the Torah a special technology. This special power to bear that revelation is the Torah. The Torah has been called Oz. Our Chachamim say in the Midrash, our sages say in the Midrash, Ain Oz Ela Torah. There is no strength but Torah. And in fact, the great commentator Unculus Translate the verse from Tehillim. Hashem Hashem shall give strength to his people as Hashem Hashem has given the Torah to his people. Now, Unkelos' translation is not just any translation. Unkelos was a convert, a Roman convert. He was actually the nephew of the evil emperor Hadrian. Unkelos was the son of his sister. His, father named, his father's name was Kalinicus. He was a very wise man. Even as a young child, he couldn't get enough of the sciences, philosophy. He had a very pure soul. And at one point, he discovered the Torah, and he decided, that's it. I want to become Jewish. But of course, he couldn't convert because his uncle would chop his head off. So what did he do? He goes to Hadrian, and he said, listen, uncle, I've spent so many years just immersing myself in wisdom and now has come the time for me to go out into the world and make business for myself. You're so wise. What advice do you have for me? Can you give me business advice? And Hadrian was so flattered that his wise nephew, Uncleus, comes to ask him for advice. So he said, listen to me. You go out there and you find something that people don't realize its value. Buy it for cheap. And then... When people will realize its value, you'll sell it for expensive and you'll make a lot of money. And he said, that's great advice, uncle. Thank you. And he goes to Israel and he becomes a student of uh, Rabbi Elizabeth ben Herkunas and Rabbi ben Hanania, two of the greatest sages of the time. And his uncle gets word that his nephew has converted. So he sends a group of soldiers to bring uncles back to Rome in chains. And the soldiers come to Unculus's house and Unculus starts teaching them the wisdom of the Torah. So instead of the soldiers bringing him back to Rome, they actually converted and became Jew themselves. 
And Hange Reason is like, this is not working. So he sends another group of soldiers and he says, don't speak a word to Unculus. So Unculus says, so they say, okay. And they go to Rome and they come to capture Unculus. And they say, we cannot speak to you. So he said, okay, you need to obey the king. I need to obey the king. But I just have a question for you. You're very familiar with the practices in Rome. I know that a simple officer holds the, the torch for the captain. The captain holds it for the general. The general holds it for the emperor. Who does the emperor hold the torch for? And they said, the emperor hold the torch? The emperor doesn't serve anybody. Why would he hold the torch for somebody? And he said, oh, but that's not like that with the Jewish people. The king of the Jewish people, Hashem, when they traveled in the desert for 40 years, he held the torch for them. He lit the way in the desert for 40 years. And they were so moved that they too converted to Judaism. And again, he sent another company of soldiers and they were convinced by Uncle smiling and kissing the mezuzah. They couldn't imagine his joy while he's being led to Roman chains. And they asked him, what's his joy about? And he said, I'm smiling because your emperor has to get some soldiers to protect him in his house. But us, the Jewish people, we sit in our homes quietly and who protects us? Our king. And the emperor realizes this is not working. One company of soldiers after another is converting to Judaism. And he realizes if Unculus is coming back to Rome, he's coming back only voluntarily. So he said, I'm not going to hurt you. Come back to Rome. I want to speak to you. He comes back to Rome and he said, what made you convert to Judaism? And he said, you, uncle, you told me to find something that people don't realize its value. But one day the value will be realized. The Jewish people are downtrodden. People mock the Torah, but eventually kings will beg to serve them. They will realize the wisdom of the Torah. And so I bought cheap, but of course it's going to be very expensive. Now, Unculus was very pained by the, the lack of, of educa- Torah education. He couldn't handle the fact that so many people were not, were not proficient in Torah study. They couldn't translate the Torah. In fact, most people had already been speaking Ashdodic, Babylonian, Aramaic. They no longer were proficient in Lashon HaKodesh. Now, Ezra the scribe had already translated the Torah into Aramaic, but that translation was lost. And Unculus felt the need to translate the Torah all over again. Now, the reason why I'm saying this whole background of Unculus's translation is because we need to understand that when Unculus translates the t- this verse from Tehillim as Hashem owes la'amo yutain, Hashem oraisa la'ame yahav, that God has given strength to his people, God has given them the Torah, it's not just any translation. This is the translation that's been handed down generation to generation all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Torah, since the beginning of time, has been called strength. It has been called koach. Strength as well. Two terms for strength. And as our rabbis say, that God gives tzaddikim the strength to receive their, world, their reward in the world to come. So in order to maintain existence and, and bear this incredible revelation, Hashem has given us the Torah, which is called strength. And our sages said that Hashem has given, Hashem will give strength to the tzaddikim in order to receive their reward. Anybody has a question about this? Strength, he's going to give strength to the righteous people to receive a reward. This is the expression of the sages. They said, just as God gives strength to the wicked in order to receive their punishment, so does he give strength to the righteous 
so that they can receive their good, their reward. I understand why the wicked would need strength to bear their punishment. And that is, excuse me for getting so graphic, but the sages say that a person puts their tiny finger into a fire down here in this world and it gets scorched immediately. Can you imagine the fires of Gehenna, which of course are not physical fires, but they're fires nonetheless. So how does, how does anybody receive that kind of punishment? They wouldn't endure it. In order to receive the punishment, they need strength. Why does a righteous person need strength in order to receive a reward? And that's because we're not talking about any reward. We're talking about the intense revelation of the divine, which is impossible to bear. In order to bear that kind of revelation, there has to be strength and extra power. And here the terminology is tzaddik and righteous people, but it means all the Jewish people. Our sages said in the Mishnah, Kol Yisrael Yeshlahem Chelak Olam Haba. All the Jewish people have a portion in the world to come. And this includes even those people who got the death penalty, who were executed by the court. But nevertheless, eventually, all the Jewish people will have a share in the world to come. So here, the terminology tzaddikim, righteous people, refers to all the Jewish people. So here we're getting a new understanding. There's going to come a time when Hashem's essence will be totally revealed. Normally, that shuts everything out of existence because there's no existence besides for Hashem. That truth revealed, nobody exists. And yet, we're going to continue to exist. That paradox is possible by the strength of the Torah. So that their existence should not dissolve within the divine light that will reveal itself in the hereafter without any garment. And the Altra Banal brings proof from the Torah, from Tanakh, that this is going to happen. As it is written, the Navi Yeshaya writes, and your teacher will no longer yikanef from you. Meaning, not as some interpret the verse, he will no longer withhold your reins. But following Rashi, he will no longer conceal himself from you with the edge of a robe or garment, kanaf. And your eyes will behold your teacher. So the Navi Yeshaya says, your, your teacher will no longer hide from you. And then, your eyes shall behold your teacher. So there's different ways to translate it. Some translate it, he will not withhold. You can translate as rain, the same terminology, rain. That's not what Rashi says. The Rashi says, your teacher. This is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be He, who teaches you for your benefit. And He will no, no longer, Yikanev, hide Himself with a garment or concealment. So this is a teaching from the Nevi Yeshaya, that there's going to come a time when your teacher, God, will no longer hide from you with concealment. Uchsev, also in the Nevi Yeshaya, Ki ayin ba'ayin yir also, and also it is written, for they shall see eye to eye, meaning that the human eye will see as the divine eye sees. Meaning we will clearly see the revelation of God's light. And that's what the commentator, Mitzvah David, writes, that we're going to have such certitude, genuine seeing of the divine at that time. Uchsev la yiyalach oid Hashemesh l'or yaymam v'gaymer, ki Hashem yiyalach and it is written, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, for God will be your eternal light. Again, 
Hashem's going to be totally revealed. We're not going to need the sun anymore. The physical sun will not be necessary because when Hashem's light is shining, we won't need anything else to light the way for us. There's an expression of the Talmud, Shraga betihara mayahane. That means of what use is a candle in broad daylight? So it's the same idea. What use is the sun when Hashem's light is shining? There's going to come a time where Hashem is totally revealed and the sun will become useless in that way. We will not need it for the light. The strength to receive this light, which will shine forth in the world to come without garment or concealment, we derive from our present study of the Torah. When Hashem gave us the Torah, He gave us not just His wisdom, He gave us Himself. This is the power of the Torah. You see, when somebody teaches you something and you connect with them while they're teaching, you connect with an aspect of them. You're both connecting, let's say, intellectually. Which, by the way, we have a different, very different experience when we study Torah together. And let's talk about that in a minute. But let's say a teacher is teaching science to his student. The student grasps what the teacher is teaching and they connect. The student connects with the teacher's wisdom. When someone studies Torah, it's not just that they're connecting with Hashem's wisdom. They're connecting with Hashem's essence. The first word of the Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments, is Anochi. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am God, your God. When God said, I am, it means me and my essence. When you say I, you're talking about yourself already beyond the name. Anochi mi she'anochi. I am he who I am. That's who is speaking. And our sages in the Talmud wrote like this. Anochi, I am, is a funny word. You could have said ani, I. That's the more normal way to say I am. But this word anochi is the acronym of four words. These are Aramaic words. Ana nafshi kesavis yahavis, which literally translated means I myself have written it and given it to you. But if you read it very literally, ana nafshi kesavis yahavis means I, my soul, have inscribed and given. When Hashem gave us the Torah, it's as if he inscribed his essence in it and gave us his very essence. There's really nothing like that in our world. Torah is a breakthrough. It is Hashem's essence shining, breaking through all the clouds, through all the concealments, coming directly to us. And one of my favorite teachings from the Baal HaTurim is this idea that when Yehuda is explaining to Joseph, who he doesn't know is his brother, he's the viceroy of Egypt, why he has to be so careful with Benjamin. He's explaining how deeply connected his father is to this son. And he says, V'nafshay kishura v'nafshay. And his soul is bound with his soul. He says, V'nafshay kishura v'nafshay. And his soul is bound with his soul. And he explains that the word kishura, bound, has the same numerical value as the word Torah. Because they study Torah together, their souls are bound with each other. And I'm sure it's because Hashem's essence is in the Torah. 
And that essence reveals our essence. And when we study Torah together, we connect on an essence level. So we really deeply connect when we get to study together. But this is the Torah experience. Torah is an experience like none other. Hashem has given us His very essence, and therefore it gives us that strength that ultimately when the truth shines, that there's nothing else besides for Hashem, we will be able to bear that revelation. The Alter Rebbe stated earlier that the purpose of the entire Hishtalshalus is the revelation of the Ein Sof light in this world, which occurs when the darkness of the Klipot in this world is transformed into the light of holiness. But one may ask, this revelation will take place only in the hereafter. At present, the Ein Sof light is completely hidden. The Alter Rebbe replies that indeed, the Messianic era constitutes the purpose for which this, for which this world was created. So you're going to say, okay, it's all about transforming darkness into light, but we don't see what's happening. Yeah, but it's not finished yet. There's a purpose to all of this. And that's, in fact, the purpose why the world was created. And this is what the Alter Rebbe goes on to say now. It is known that the Messianic era, especially the period after the resurrection of the dead. So there are different stages in the days of Mashiach, this is something that's brought up in the Zohar. One of the sages asked, aren't they the same thing? The resurrection of the dead in the days of Mashiach? And he said, no, there's different stages. There's Beis HaMikdash and there's Kibbutz Goliath, which is the ingathering of the exiles. And there's Techias HaMesim, different stages in the times of Mashiach. So the Alter Rebbe says like this, it is known that this time, the Messianic era, and especially the period after the resurrection of the dead, it is indeed the ultimate purpose and the fulfillment of the creation of this world. It is for this purpose that this world was originally created. So this is really a bomb. This is really a new insight because it gives us a new perspective on really the essence of this world. Because let's say you have something, and then you improve it. Well, that thing existed before you improved it. So the improvement is really something extra, an appendage to the original thing. And especially so if the improvement is much better than the original. Like, for example, somebody gives you a cell phone case as a present. You're like, hey, this is neat, but I don't have a cell phone. And someone says, you know, we're going to make that case a lot better. We're going to put a cell phone inside. The cell phone case existed before the cell phone. And the cell phone is now something totally different than the cell phone case. Excuse me for getting so uh, (laughs) philosophical. But the point is that it existed beforehand. If we're going to say this world is just a dark place and eventually there's going to be an improvement and Hashem's light is going to shine here, but this world essentially is a dark place. There's nothing special about it. Just a big improvement is going to come. And not just a big improvement. An improvement that's utterly the opposite of the original existence of this world. So the author of it says, no, no, no. That's not what it's like here. The world was created from the very outset to be this place of light. The original plan here is that Hashem's light will shine totally. There's going to be total revelation. This is the point of creation. It's like somebody giving you a cell phone that's off and you have no experience with cell phones. You're like, hey, cool, here's a black brick. And then suddenly the phone rings and the cell phone goes on. You're like, 
Wow, look what happened to it. No, no, not what happened to it. That's what it was all along. You just didn't know. This world of darkness has a deeper plan. The plan of this darkness is that ultimately it will shine with total revelation. Hashem's essence is going to shine here. It gives us a new perspective on this world. This world inherently is meant to reveal the divine. And also helps us just experience things differently, you know. I once heard this this guy speak about an interesting experience that he had where he and his wife brought their four-year-old a set of Legos in honor of the holiday. So his wife lights the candles and they give the kid the gift and he goes to sleep and he has that Lego box right by his bed. He wakes up in the morning, crack of dawn, and he's already building the Legos. His parents come in and his room is a disaster. But the little boy looks so happy and he's picking up pieces and he's putting them together. Somebody who has no experience of that could think, what is going on here? This place is a mess. This place is chaos. Nothing is in order. And the little boy is so happy. Yeah, you know why he's so happy? Because there's a picture on the box. On the box, there's a picture of a castle with guards and a bridge. That's what the Legos are meant to be, and the little boy knows it. That's what keeps him happy and dedicated and focused. So from an outsider's view, it's like, oh my gosh, chaos. No, not chaos. This darkness has an original intention. That original intention is that Hashem will be utterly revealed here. His essence will shine, and we will continue to exist, even bear that revelation. At first glance, this statement appears strange. One would have thought that the Messianic era represents not the purpose of creation, but the reward for man's efforts towards fulfilling that purpose. So one second, the author is making a very strong statement over here. He's saying the purpose of creation are the days of Mashiach. The days of Mashiach? I thought the days of Mashiach are a reward. Why are you calling it the purpose of creation? So the author now makes a little note. He clarifies. The time of receiving the reward is essentially in the seventh millennium, as is stated in Lekutei Torah of the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria of Blessed Memory, whereas the period until then constitutes the fulfillment of the world's purpose. So yes, Mashiach's coming is a reward, but it's the direct product of our efforts. And we're going to discuss this at length in next chapter. Reward, in the pure sense, as a gift from above, that's going to be later. That's going to be in the seventh millennium. The Talmud says like this, The world has 6,000 years, and for 1,000 years it will lay in ruins. As it says, and God alone will be exalted on that day. So the world was created for 6,000 years, corresponding to the six days of creation. The seventh day corresponds to the seventh millennium. Rabbeinu Bechaye writes, Yayim shvi'i keneged elef hashvi'i, shekule Shabbos umenucho lechaye ha'elamim, uhu achar yemais hamashias, hamashiach utchias hamesim, this is what the commentator on the Torah writes about this seventh millennium. The seventh day corresponds to the seventh millennium, which will be entirely Shabbos and rest, when we will have 
everlasting life. It comes after the days of Mashiach and the resurrection of the dead. And those that have been resurrected will merit it and enjoy a pleasure of body and soul that has no end. So that time is going to come as a gift from above. What does it mean that the world is going to lay desolate? It's going to be in ruins. It says, well, God alone will be exalted on that day. Hashem will be utterly revealed. There will be no perception of existence outside of him. That cannot come as a reward for our efforts. The reward for our efforts have to be somewhat commensurate with our service. The days of Mashiach are producing, are produced by our service now. The seventh millennium is going to be total reward. The seventh millennium is going to be way above anything we could have achieved. So when we're talking about pure reward, it's the seventh millennium. When we're talking about the days of Mashiach, it is a reward. It's a reward as being the product of our service now. But if we're just going to talk about pure reward, then we're not going to call Mashiach pure reward. Pure reward is going to be in the seventh millennium. So this is what the Alter is clarifying. What's coming up is the Alter is going to explain to us that we once actually did have this kind of revelation. That on one hand, Hashem was totally revealed. We did exist, but very tenuously. And this revelation was everywhere. We've had an experience of this kind of revelation before. Let me sum up what we said until now. What we said is like this. The impossible is going to happen. The impossible is that Hashem will be totally revealed. And at the same time, we're going to continue to maintain existence. That's going to happen because of the strength of the Torah. And in fact, when this happens, that's going to be the purpose of of creation totally realized. Yes, it is a reward, but not a reward in the truest sense. Reward in the truest sense is in the seventh millennium. Now, did we ever experience something like this before? And the answer is yes. A glimmer of this revelation, which will take place in the future, has already been experienced at the time of the giving of the Torah. So at the time of the giving of the Torah, God totally revealed himself to us. There's a difference, however. At that time, we weren't vessels to receive the revelation. And therefore, it was possible for us to sin with the golden calf, as we did. Yes, it was Pascha Zuhamasan. The sages say that when the Torah was given, our filth left us. That means we had no evil in us anymore. But it was kind of like a temporary solution. It was like the evil within us was put to sleep, but it wasn't totally eradicated. We weren't yet vessels for that kind of revelation. It's like, you know, somebody's hungry, but then they're so involved in their work that they forget that they're hungry. As soon as they're done with their work, boom, they're hungry again. They were hungry all along. They just didn't feel it. So the same thing too. At the time of the giving of the Torah, Hashem revealed himself to us. We had no relationship with evil, but the evil was there. It was dormant and it still allowed for the possibility of sin. In contrast, when Mashiach comes, the Navi Zechariah says, And the spirit of impurity I will remove from the land. There will be no possibility for sin. So yes, something like this happened before, but on a different scale. And this was Matan Torah. And Alter Rebbe proves this. As it is written, you have been shown to know that God is the Lord. There is nothing else besides him. And the Alter Rebbe 
tells us that this kind of revelation that we experienced was true revelation to the point that it was physically perceptible. You actually revealed yourself, literally, you made yourself seen, indicating that the revelation was in a manner perceptible to physical sight. So here we come to a core concept, and that is there is a huge difference to our experience when we see something versus our experience when we hear about something or understand something. Understanding is related to hearing. When we see something, we have sure belief in it. The example given by the famous Hasidic scholar Rabbi Khan is like this. A man is sitting in a room. No way to enter the room. No doors, no windows. Suddenly, he sees somebody in front of him. And not just does he see somebody in front of him, but this somebody comes from Australia. And he was there five minutes ago. You're going to say, listen, I understand you see somebody in front of you, but it's not possible that they're in front of you. You should just know there's no way to enter this room. And five minutes ago, he was in Australia. You're going to say, I don't care. I don't care that he was in Australia five minutes ago, and I don't care that there's no way to get into this room, but I see him. I believe that he's here. How he's here, I have no idea how he's here, but I see him and I know he's here. There's a certitude when you see something, vision. On the other hand, if someone tells you about something and that person is very credible and you totally believe them, but then someone else comes and gives a little bit of room for suspicion, even if you were very sure before, there's gonna be a little bit of doubt. Because when you understand something or you hear about something, there's still a little bit of room for doubt because it hasn't been a primary experience. Vision is a primary experience. You directly connect with what you see. Now, there's a different kind of certitude that can happen, even from not seeing something, but from knowing about it deeply. And this is something that the grandson of the Baal Hatanya writes in his work, Derech Mitzvah This is by the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe. And he says like this, there is something called Re'iyas Ein hasechel, seeing with the mind's eye. And the example that he gives is your spirit. You know that you have a spirit. You know that you're more than just a heap of bones and meat. And if someone's going to try to talk you out of it and say, no, there's nothing else to you. You're just meat and bones. There's no consciousness. There's no spirit. You're just not going to be talked out of it. You know you have an essence. You can't describe it. You've never seen it but you have a certitude about it. It's rock solid. No one's going to talk you out of it. So this is like seeing. It's seeing with the mind's eye. And that's what the Alter Rebbe comes here to negate. He says, you have been shown to know Haresa Mamash, actually. And he continues, in a manner that was perceptible to physical sight. It wasn't just that you had such a certainty. It's as if you saw. When the Torah was given, the Jewish people were able to perceive with physical sight that there's nothing else besides for Hashem. Now, what does that mean? Because we all know that Hashem has no physical form. But when the divine was revealed, he was able to receive in any which sensory mode we were ready to receive him. And that's what we're going to discuss coming up, that they were able to see that which is normally heard because it broke through all barriers. So Hashem doesn't have a form, and yet physically with their eyes, they were able to see the divine. We know that 
Hashem has no physical form. But there was a certitude, a physical vision of knowing that there is God at the time of the giving of the Torah. So it is written, and all the people saw the thun- thunder. They saw, which is normally heard. What does it mean they saw the thunder? You hear thunder. So our sages explain that the divine was coming from every which way, and they saw that which is normally heard. Our rabbis explain, they look eastward and they heard the divine speech issuing forth saying, I am God your Lord. And so too, turning toward the four points of the compass and every and above and below, they heard the words coming from every direction. So we already experienced something, something of this in the past. There was a time when Hashem gave us the Torah that he totally exposed himself. This exposure was essential. It was Hashem revealing himself in a way that he was even perceptible by physical eyesight. And it was everywhere. And that's what it's like going to be like at the end of days. That Hashem is going to be totally perceptible physically in every which mode that we're able to receive him. His essence is going to shine and it's going to be everywhere. The difference between the giving of the Torah and the way it's going to be when Mashiach comes is at that time, we weren't vessels to receive the Torah. And we're going to talk about this in the next section. We weren't able to withstand that revelation. When Mashiach comes, because of our studying Torah now, we already received the Torah. We're internalizing it. We are going to be able to withstand that incredible revelation that is going to be at the end of time. So just to sum up what we said until now, that yes, Mashiach is a reward, but not reward in the purest sense. Reward in the purest sense is going to be in the seventh millennium. And we did experience something like this before, and that was at the time of the giving of the Torah. Like the Torah tells us, you were shown to know that God is God and there's no one else besides him. We were actually shown to know, the altar says, literally with physical eyesight. It was something that we we're able to physically perceive. So I'm closing class for today, and I'm opening up for questions and discussion.